to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. I'm Karen Wright Marsh. Do you wonder if Christian faith can be truly lived in today's complex and changing world? Well, this is the place to find broken and beautiful companions for your everyday pilgrimage. Here, you'll find embodied witnesses, Christians from different eras and different cultures. They're people we sometimes call saints, but they were also sinners just like you and me. Today, I'm here to tell you the story of Benedict and Scholastica and to talk about it with a friend of mine, Tim Seng. I'm glad you're here with us. The story of Benedict and Scholastica comes straight out of the 5th century. The last Roman emperor had been ousted by invading warriors, and Europe was in chaos. It was a free-for-all of plundering by Vandals, Visigoths, and Ostrogoths. Under attack, the Christian church was ripped by conflict from within. Cities, once the pride of the empire, slid into decline but the countryside offered little refuge. Up in the Italian Umbrian mountains, the twins, Benedict and Scholastica, were born. As they grew, Scholastica, like a good girl of nobility, remained at home, while her brother Benedict was packed off for Rome to receive a standard classical education. Once in Rome, young Benedict was appalled by what he saw. He complained that his classmates were degenerates, that his rhetoric courses were irrelevant, and that each day was a dull cycle of studying and drunken partying. Why waste time at school? The whole civilized world was falling apart. Benedict was convinced that any hope for his society lay in God's help. Benedict had heard stories of earlier Christians the desert fathers and mothers, those old spiritual purists who'd opted out of state Christianity to live in the Egyptian wilderness, far from the corruptions of power and pleasure. So without telling his parents such a classic adolescent move, Benedict ditched school in Rome and headed into the hills for a life of solitude and dedicated prayer. For several years, Benedict lived secretly as a hermit. Eventually, word of this boy Benedict and his devotion to God got out. One raggedy band of monks begged Benedict to come and be their leader. Reluctantly, Benedict agreed, but he insisted on discipline within the community. It seems that the monks didn't take well to Benedict's rigorous standards, and in a bizarre act of mutiny, they poisoned Benedict's wine. His life was miraculously saved when the wine glass spontaneously shattered in his hand. Benedict made a beeline straight back to his old cave, which he called the place of his beloved solitude. 
but it seems that God kept prodding him to get on back into faithful life with other Christians. And so Benedict ventured into community life once more. When Benedict came out of seclusion around the year 530, he did it in a big way. He invited some friends to join him in what he called a school for the Lord's service and set up 12 monasteries of 12 monks each. His sister Scholastica left the family home to form a women's community of her own, just five miles from her brothers. From countryside and from urban streets, places desolated by war and pillage, all kinds of followers joined Benedict. Rich and poor, Romans and barbarians, even Goths, so long as they repented their marauding ways. Leading citizens of Rome sent their children to Benedict and Scholastica to get them out of the capital city. Benedict accepted all comers without respect to class or background, but he did require that applicants commit to two things, true love of God and unreserved obedience to the community's regimen. Life in the monastery would be no utopia, but Benedict wasn't about crazy sleep deprivation or extreme fasting. Balance was the key. Benedict had the wisdom to see that the way we conduct our outward lives has everything to do with our inner spiritual health. He felt that we need to get free from our personal preferences, from our quirky addictions, and be trained toward the intentional habits that create space for God and for one another. So Benedict laid down some everyday monastic rules. Growth in holiness and harmony of life would develop through structure, a daily rhythmic schedule of work, of study, of fellowship, of rest, and of prayer. You can still read the details of the routine in his user's manual, The Rule of Benedict. Benedict begins the rule with a warm invitation. He writes, Seeking his workers in a multitude of people, the Lord calls out and lifts his voice again. Is there anyone here who yearns for life and desires to see good days? Benedict's code of conduct isn't meant to be about spiritual heroics. The rules are there to promote spiritual health and communal peace, to help heal brokenness and safeguard love. Benedict is not writing for spiritual superstars. He knows that ordinary humans are prone to oversleep and cut corners. And so, like an attentive parent, wise Benedict anticipates the smallest practical issues, even when it comes to sleeping arrangements. Anticipating some disobedience, Benedict lays out procedures for discipline and even restoration of wayward brothers. There must be true genius in this rule because the communities founded on these guidelines flourished. Through the grim years of the Dark Ages, these monasteries sheltered learning, orthodox faith, and even civilization itself. Benedict and Scholastica changed the face of Christianity forever. Even today, 1,500 years later, monastic communities faithfully follow Benedict's rule of life. 
For Scholastica and Benedict, Christianity is so much more than an abstract doctrinal system. It's a complete life, a life of following Jesus wholly with body, mind, and spirit. Benedict and his twin sister experienced their own frightening era of excess and imbalance, but they saw a good way to live. From their 5th century Italy, they teach us about work-life balance, thoughtfully, peacefully, and in moderation. They point us to the rhythms of God's creation, where days are ordered and busy, but never frantic. They show us how community life can hold us in balance day by day and form us in love for God and for one another. Christ intends us to have a good life that lasts forever, where God is at the center, where companionship, worship, service, All this takes precedence over productivity and accomplishment. Benedict calls for a reorientation. He says that no one should look after themselves, but each one should strive to serve the others in everything with joy and love and respect. This is an existence with lots of time for God and for one another. And what could be better than that? The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is the audio companion to my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners, 25 Christians Who Transformed My Faith. To learn more, come on by my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes and invite your friends to join us. Now, for a conversation about Benedict and Scholastica with my friend, I'm delighted to welcome my friend Tim Tseng into the conversation. Tim works with InterVarsity Fellowship as the Pacific Area Director of Graduate and Faculty Ministries. He has a PhD in church history. He's been ordained by the American Baptist Churches, served as a professor, as a pastor, and has a great deal of life experience. Hails from New York. So um, thank you, Tim, for chatting with me today. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you about Benedict and Scholastica. I think about their this rule of life that, that that Benedict constructed, and I wonder when you speak with graduate students in your area of work with faculty members, what they might make of this notion of a rule of life. Well, first of all, I think many of them don't really understand what it means. What that what that's all about. Yeah. They enter their programs usually as some of the better students and consequently because of their past work and performance they were accepted into either a master's or a PhD program. So the the rule of life that I think they they've entered in is one of performance and and tr- achievement and being perfectionist at times. So those are the kinds of rules I think they 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 bring in to their studies as they start their, their programs. And, and it doesn't get better. As, as mm. they continue to study, they continue to hear rules defined by the by the academy about continuing to strive to be the best and to and, and consequently it creates this, it creates something like a imposter syndrome. And I can go on and on about this, but but essentially I don't think they understand the rules of life other than the ones that they're taught in academia. 
Yeah. Don't you think that's true that so many of us, we think that a rule of life is some weird monastic constraint mm-hmm. where we are each following a rule of life. Mm-hmm. We may it, we may be unaware of what the rules are, but we're certainly following along with expectations, whether they're external or internal. And I think we feel the tension when we talk about work-life balance and, and those sorts of phrases. And yet, you know, somebody who's working 60, 70 hours a week they're following a rule. That's right. I, I like how you put it in this chapter about your busyness addiction, because I can really relate <laughs> to that. <laughs> and, and I also appreciate how you, how you mentioned that um, we might yearn for simpler times, but there was no such thing as simpler times. <laughs> well, I love the story of Benedict when he shows up at, at the university in Rome, and mm-hmm. he's just appalled by the all the guys who are drinking yep. and you know the wildlife at the university, and then he takes off <laughs> to hide in a cave. I wonder, where do you see the spirit of Benedict? And I'm thinking particularly of his countercultural attitude, Mm -hmm. where he sees a a culture that is in decline, where morals uh, are in decay, and he wants to find a better way. Do you see that anywhere? Well, I kind of see it all around me. I see some some of the problems are that the rules of this, of our social uh, expectations are still, they still permeate our our campuses and our churches as well. So so when I was a pastor, I also followed that rule of, of being very busy and and not finding rest, um, and not really feeling, uh, finding a, a rhythm that will would allow me to balance my life. So I think the need is so great. Uh, but since I started with Intervarsity, uh, we've been encouraged as staff to to find uh, moments of sabbatical taking. So in fact, just just today, mm-hmm. I got an email from my supervisor who kind of chided me for sending an email yesterday. <laughs> yesterday was, meaning yesterday, meaning Sunday. Uh, she kind uh-huh. of hinted that it would be helpful to do emails only but um, between Mondays and Fridays so that we can have the weekend as a time of sabbatical. I guess she's trying to teach me one rule about how to balance my working yeah. life and, and faith. So so, so I, and I, I see this happening with my students as well, trying to learn how to stop constantly going on and on and on. Even even with their spiritual lives, they're often just busy pushing and pursuing. So to find something countercultural actually is a relief when people discover that they can find something, an alternative mm-hmm. way, alter, alternative uh, regimen. Well, you know, when I, when I look at Benedict and Scholastica, I don't want to forget his sister, I notice aspects of the rule of life around hospitality, where they're encouraging the community to welcome people in, which I think is a really another countercultural aspect of their rule of life. And I wonder where do you see hospitality among Christians that that you would want to lift up? Well, definitely when in the context of the students I work with, when volunteers who love these students open their homes to give their give them a a meal to just give them a time off from their busy schedule and and just just embrace them and just give them space to talk to one another that's 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 a great form of hospitality that i've seen i also see it in um in some church practices especially when they say in a, in a very racially diverse denominational context when people of color and women in, in particular are given a space to 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 speak and to be themselves, 
that, that's just another way of, of hospitality. I think that actually addresses some of the inequalities that we, <laughs> we face daily. Yeah. When you think about Benedict and Scholastica and their story and their rule of life, in, in what way would you like to be more like Benedict? I grew up in a Chinese church, which is very ethnically centric, ethnic centric community. So I'm used to having a community around me. Uh, and I think for many of us who might have grown up in a very tight community, whether it's a, a church or ethnic community, as I became an adult, I wanted to liberate myself from that and become my own person. And yeah, I think I've lived with that kind of modality for so long that it has mm-hmm. in, impacted my um, my spirituality, my uh, personal practice, my discomfort with being hospitable and generous to others. And I, I just think that that's, I just have to find a way to become more able to live in community with others. One of the things I could do better would be to make it a practice to to spend time with invite people to my home, which I don't do too often. Yeah. And I think about the living in community requires uh, giving up some of your mm-hmm. own autonomy by definition. Um, and that means constraints. And for people like me, constraints are annoying. So one last question. I mean, if you were introducing a group of uh, graduate students today to the work of Benedict, how would you introduce Benedict? <laughs> I think I'd do it similarly to the way you did it by talking about his life and noticing how much of a parallel there that there was um, his search for for academic prestige and then the need to pull out from that. I, I'm not sure I would tell our students to simply drop everything <laughs> and then form a monastic community. Right. But I, I think that knowing the spirit behind that is a helpful um, lesson. And then trying to find ways in which they could apply that spirituality to different aspects of their lives uh, going forward is, is would be exciting. And, and I think that with InterVarsity, we, for example, we have been talking about how to engage in uh, spiritual practices and, and developing rules of life within uh, this very, within our technologically and, uh, and, and so socially networked world. Uh, so we, we've been talking about it and doing conferencing and, and I think, um, there's some positive, um, examples that are being presented and proposed. In fact, there's a book by Justin Early called the common rule. And he describes like eight habits of the common rule. I think this is very benedicting, uh, but, uh, but, but at the same time, it's it's very relevant to, to me and, and for many of our, our young people today. I think it's it's wonderful and exciting to see these ancient brothers and sisters um, inform us and shape us and encourage us in, in our spiritual lives today and in our personal lives. So thank you for bringing Benedict and Scholastica along into this conversation, Tim. And um, God bless you as you seek balance and community and hospitality in your own thank life. Thank you. You too. In many ways, Benedict and his sister Scholastica lived in an utterly different world. And yet, even then, they asked urgent questions that I ask myself almost every single day. How do I live well? How do I use this God-given gift that is my time, my very life, 
amidst the buzz of competing claims upon my attention. I'm happy that you could listen in on my conversation with Tin Sang as we explored the wisdom that Benedict and Scholastica offer to all of us, overworked, underrested people that we are. My hope is that you will taste a bit more of the good life, thanks to these old sinner saints. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, and I'm the Executive Director of Theological Horizons, a ministry based in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. I'd love to hear from you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Theological Horizons. Come by my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. You'll find out more about the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast, get show notes, and learn about my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. You can download free printable study guides for your small group or just for yourself and keep the conversation going. Thanks to the generosity of the Lloyd and Vivian Noble Foundation and to the Friends of Theological Horizons. I hope you'll support the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast with a tax-deductible gift to Theological Horizons. Go to theologicalhorizons.org slash giving or donate on Venmo at theological-horizons. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang. Our music is by Will Marsh of Gold Connections.